not reviewed. It would have to be called for from the booth inside of two minutes. Pass picked. Joe Schobert. Browns take over. Welcome to episode two of the Browns Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Higdon, with me on this Victory Monday or possibly Victory Tuesday if you're listening to us a day late is my good friend Mike Hogue. Mike, what is up? Justin, what's up, man? Victory, whatever day, it's a win. You know, it's our first (laughs) chance to celebrate a win for the Cleveland Browns since Christmas Eve 2016. Um, A lot has happened since then. It's been it was, it was over 600 days between wins. The last quarterback that started a win was RG3, who, uh, you know, the Browns pulled off the scrap heap that year to be a starting quarterback so that they could, you know, proceed with whatever their tank job was for the last couple of years. But now a new hope, a new hope has risen because amid that, that game, amid that game on uh, Thursday night against the Jets, Browns got down 14 to nothing. Unfortunately, Tyrod Taylor wasn't playing well, and then he got knocked out of the game with an injury. He's in the concussion protocol. Enter Baker Mayfield, and he became an instant legend with a comeback win. I mean, this guy looked like the real deal. I wasn't 100% a believer in Baker Mayfield as a draft pick. I was kind of stunned that he was the pick at number one overall. But, of course, after Thursday night, I became a lifelong fan of Baker Mayfield. I ordered my jersey my headband, and all of that. So uh, we're thrilled with the result. Is there anything to pick apart from Thursday night's game? I think one of the things, the only thing that I could really take away as a negative was the play in the end zone where he, th- he didn't see the safety and threw what should have been an interception that would have taken three points off the board. Obviously, the three points would not have mattered as they won by four. However, the Browns' red zone offense – Dating back to the second day of training camp, when I, I was watching them, they're at the goal line practicing. They just do not seem to have a philosophy for punching the ball into the end zone through passing. So I know we've got Carlos Hyde has multiple goal line touchdowns so far to this point. However, we need, we need to see something more this week against the Raiders inside the 10-yard line where we can complete a pass into the end zone to score some touchdowns. Uh, going back to Mayfield real quick. One of the things that I was concerned about was when we actually saw Mayfield in preseason with the starters. And I know and we believe Mayfield worked hard this summer. He understood the offense. He he showed that he was pretty much on track to be ready to play in the NFL. We all wondered when that would be. But the only glimpse we really had of him was in that third preseason game when he came in for Tyrod after the the wrist injury, I believe it was. And didn't look great. Unfortunately for him, unfortunately for the Browns, that was a completely different situation in a meaningless game, and he came back and won a football game. I'm not going to say single-handedly, but his decision-making and processing speed helped the offense become what we all thought that, that it had a chance of becoming, even with Tyrod Taylor, our quarterback. Yeah, I saw how quick he was getting the ball out, and I think that was the thing that stood out to me most. As soon as he came in, he was getting the ball out over, you know, mainly using the middle of the field and just firing those quick, um, those hitting his first read right off the bat, you know. So was that a predetermined throw? Is that something he saw at the line of scrimmage and then checked to before the snap? 
uh, you know, it's, to me, it's not 100% clear. I know there's a lot of guys who do film breakdown. They'd know that better than I do. But the point of the matter is he was getting the ball more quickly, and that was something Tyrod had been struggling with for, throughout the two and a half games that he played. And then, uh, of course, you know, the negatives came in the first half when he saw Taylor had Antonio Callaway for two what looked like short touchdowns and un- badly underthrew him twice. And uh, when Mayfield got in there, that wasn't an issue. Mayfield was hitting his receivers down the field. And even he finished 17 to 23. And he even uh, I think the receivers were credited with three drops. So I, I would give Callaway a bit of a pass for his drop because it was difficult to track it as it, as it, as the ball, he was running a straight line down the left sideline and that ball was kind of, uh, pulling him toward the sideline. That was a difficult track, but he did have it right in his bread basket and dropped it. So uh, Mayfield could have had easily, he could have easily been 20 for 23. It would have been remarkable. Like you said, there was that one uh, poor throw where he didn't look like he saw the underneath coverage. But other than that, a lot of positives for me in this game, not just Mayfield, but Carlos Hyde ran the ball better. I think there's a school of thought that Mayfield's going to open things up for a guy like Carlos Hyde. Uh, there's, uh, gonna the defense is gonna have to back off and not quite stack the box like they have been doing. It looks like Mayfield opens things up for David and Joku, uh, Landry and Callaway both get their share of targets, and Rashard Higgins is developing into that reliable number three receiver. And then uh, lastly, for me, sticking on offense is Desmond Harrison. I feel like he's come a long way since the first week. You know, the more time goes by, the less we even hear his name. And for an offensive lineman during the course of a game, that's really what you want. And they did have some protection issues early on in that game, but I think Harrison is really coming into his own. And if if they can close out the year with Harrison and knowing that he's going to be the starting left tackle moving forward, that really eliminates what I think everybody came into this season thinking was going to be the primary draft need going into next year. So if we can see that quarterback solved, left tackle solved, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but a lot of positives on the offensive side of the ball once Mayfield came in. Oh, most definitely. And like, like you said, opposing defenses, people, people are asking after the game, why, why are the Jets no longer getting pressure on the quarterback? And it wasn't for lack of trying. They continued to send five or six guys at Mayfield, and because he was getting the ball out, on the first read and not not hesitating, not not waiting to make the throw to look for a better throw, but finding finding the guys he believed would be open and if not shifting to the next and getting the ball out quickly, it pretty much neutralized that and they kind of went away from it as the game went on. So I, I as an offensive unit, the tempo like you mentioned earlier, the running game improved, keeping a defense on its on its heels is a, is is a real thing. Momentum is a real thing for an offense and having Mayfield's ability to facilitate that is the most important thing that, that we'll see throughout the rest of the season. One thing that I want to see, uh, you mentioned the, the throw to Callaway over his shoulder that should have been a catch. I'd like to see a couple a couple deep shots this week where Mayfield shows that accuracy on, on the deep ball because that's something that Browns fans had not seen for, for quite some time where quarterback can, can put the ball on receivers downfield and let them make plays. We've, we've seen Jarvis Landry make that play. That was, that was as, as deep of a throw as I think Mayfield completed in the game. And I would, I'd just like to see him give Landry some more chances because we've, we've seen the hands, we've seen the ability to track the ball and bring it in. 
So let's let's go down the field a little bit. Let's test out our, our big athletic tight end, David Njoku, this week against a beatable Raiders defense. We're, they're going to be on the road. They're going to be facing the time change. They're going to be facing the hostile crowd. Put a couple put a couple big deep balls in the air and make a couple big plays and kind of remove some any kind of hope or whatever that the Raiders think that they have winning their first game this week. Also, going back to defense, I do have a couple negatives briefly. So again, I think we talked about Last week, we wanted to see a little bit more stout run defense. And after after getting run all over by the Steelers and not really so much the Saints, which was, was pretty impressive considering, uh, Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell ran all over Greg Williams' defense. They, they ran almost the same two plays repeatedly, one after another. Isaiah Crowell wiped his butt with a football and threw it at Cleveland. I, just, I mean that was that was uh, yeah, reminiscent of Randy Moss mooning the uh, was it mooning the Green Bay crowd back in the day. Of course, it it did draw a personal foul penalty, just like or unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, just like Moss did. Yeah, I, but I mean that should you should not allow a guy like Isaiah Crowell to do that to your defense, especially when you're considered one of the up and coming elite defenses in the NFL potentially with the amount of talent they have and Greg Williams' experience as a coordinator. What I do not want to see this week is Marshawn Lynch do anything like that. <laughs> Which obviously, <laughs> obviously, you know, Marshawn, Marshawn's famous for the, you know, the grabbing his crotch as he goes into the end zone. So what you're saying is, you know, we had, a, we had the butt wipe celebration last week. You don't want to have, you know, the crotch grab this week. So, yeah, I hear you. But yeah, we're, this week it's a road game. So, uh, you know. Anything goes. That that place is going to be nuts. Yeah, I just I just want to see. <laughs> I, I, Marshawn Lynch is a much better running back than Isaiah Crowell. Um, Richard out of the backfield catching passes is pretty comparable to, to Bilal Powell. Um, they just they just need to have a game plan in place where they're not overly aggressive in certain areas of the line, where they were they were up front up the middle. They were pounding the middle on rundowns, and the Jets adapted to it. Just like the Steelers did with the counters and the pitches, and once they once these running backs are getting to the outside, we're not we're not getting a lot of help from from the linebackers down because they're they're getting caught up in all the offensive linemen. So the other thing yeah. the other thing that I've got negative wise about the defense is the screen plays, man. And I, always it, it goes back thirty years with this or with this franchise, you know, and screens eighteen just defense, can't be stopped. Eighteen defensive coordinators. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's, it's just a it's one of those Cleveland curses like can't stop the screen it's been I remember the Houston Oilers beating the Browns with the screen so that's going way back showing my age but I mean it, it has Whoa. been something that has gone back since before they left now that they've returned doesn't matter who the coach is it always seems to be an issue but I think you know not to step on your toes here but in fairness I think being I think they were really Allowing the Jets, kind of giving the Jets some of that screen game and some of those running plays in order to get under the skin of a rookie quarterback and Sam Darnold. And I think uh, I think they actually, you know, by the end of the game, I think they were accomplishing their mission. But I'm with you. There are some, there are just a couple of um, you know holes in the game right now that we we need to look at going forward. Right, exactly. These are these are just a couple a couple areas overall. The def- defense has been getting pressure on the quarterback, which has been a, a huge consistent problem for the Browns' defense, no matter who the coordinator's been. 
They haven't had the elite pass rushing talent in the past that they have now. They have corners like Denzel Ward, who played phenomenally again in week three, as he did in week one. And he is now Pro Football Focus's sixth-ranked cornerback of the year, I believe, and the highest-graded rookie cornerback out of anybody drafted in the last three years. That is impressive. Impressive, impressive stuff. Cornerbacks typically take some time to adjust to the NFL game. There's, there's, a, there's a lot more to playing cornerback in the NFL than college. There's usually a learning curve that takes time. We saw Joe Hayden take more than half a season, maybe if not the whole first season of his career before he really settled in. Denzel Ward is living up to the number four pick. I mean, that's one of the biggest takeaways, I think, so far for this season, for the defense at least. Um, yeah, huge relief for the fans who remember not that long ago Justin Gilbert being a top ten pick and never getting it. So now it does seem like they got a young guy who really gets it, who knows how to tackle, who knows how to play the ball. Uh, very impressed with Denzel Ward. I loved him as a prospect. I thought he was, you know, I, I was on board with that pick at number four overall, and he's really – Making John Dorsey look like a smart guy. Yeah, definitely. He he was some some were confused by the pick at the time, but the talent that he had was was pretty much well well widely widely respected. And Dorsey made a decision to do add the, pretty much the finishing touch on his revamped secondary that is playing significantly better than we've seen in, in quite some time. So, is there anything else you want to talk about going back to the Jets? No, game? man. Uh, you know we've, we've talked about the offense, we've talked about the defense, but really, what this week's all about is Mayfield mania. So right now, let's bring on our first guest, or our, our guest this week, and that's uh, going to be Dennis Maniloff from the Plain Dealer, Cleveland.com. He's at D-Man's World 474 on Twitter. You can follow him there. Dennis, thank you for joining us this week. What is hey, up? No, no problem. So, Dennis, uh, obviously we have a big news this week. It's uh, Baker Mayfield has been named the starting quarterback officially going forward on the season. What is your take on the quarterback change? And specifically, my question is, what does this mean for Hugh Jackson? Does this buy him time, or is this a little bit too little too late? No, it absolutely buys him time. Um, I was of the belief that if the Jets game had continued to go as it did, or as it was going with Taylor in it, if Taylor had stayed in and, let's say, Jackson had not uh, pulled Taylor until it was too late, and the Browns were run off the field by the Jets to go to 0-2-1 in Dorsey's mind, it would be 0-3. I truly believe that Jackson would have been uh, in trouble after that game. Um, But as is, Mayfield comes in with that spectacular performance, and it is my opinion that he saved Jackson's job on that night. Uh, And I, and here's the thing. If Mayfield does what we think he's going to do, which is produce victories, then how do you fire Hugh Jackson when he's winning games? Uh, So I, I think Jackson has been saved by Mayfield and will continue to be saved by him as long as Mayfield produces. D-Man, what's going on? I got I to gotta follow up on, on, on the Hugh Jackson question. What do you think about his past judgment in quarterbacks and what we're seeing now from Baker Mayfield, what we saw from him throughout training camp over the summer, the work ethic, the, the throws, the arm, the understanding of the offense? He, he pretty much had it down pretty quick, and that's what most of the reports indicated. That's what most people saw when they saw him during preseason. Is, is this just another example of Hugh Jackson not – properly evaluating the quarterback position or do you think it was more he was trying to protect his job by playing someone he believed would give him 
more stability than a rookie because he'd been burned twice already. Yeah, Mike, I hear you. Um, Listen, it is my belief, again, I I don't have the sourcing on this that Mary Kay Cabot or Dan Lobby or any of the stalwarts out there at Berea do, but I try to read the tea leaves. And the good news about Hugh Jackson is he's easy to read, okay? You don't have too much difficulty figuring out uh, what's, you know, between the lines with him. I truly believe that going into year three, he knew he was lucky to even be the coach of the Browns. And there had to be a number of conditions put on him as a result of, of surviving one in 31. One of them, of course, was Todd Haley had to come in or somebody, and in this case, Dorsey's call to bring in Todd Haley to call the plays and, and come up with the offensive game plan. I think another uh, condition was he was going to follow the orders uh, of Dorsey as to who, which quarterback was going to play. Uh, and I know, of course, Dorsey would deny that. He'd say, no, I, you know, Hugh Jackson's our coach, and he makes the call on the quarterback. But I don't believe that. So I think Jackson was playing Tyrod Taylor because he was told to. Uh, I also think that Jackson would have made the switch to Mayfield based on what he saw Thursday night. Uh, I'm not saying Dorsey told him to play Mayfield from here on out. I think Mayfield forced that. Um, but as far as Jackson's judgment, I, I don't think this is on him. I think that Dorsey had said, I brought in Taylor. I want him playing from the, from the jump to protect Mayfield. Jackson was going along with the plan just cause he was lucky to be there. And so I don't put this on Jackson that he failed to evaluate Mayfield properly and therefore, you know, played Taylor for the first two games when he shouldn't have. Dennis, we've all seen this before with this franchise. You know, we've gone to rookie quarterbacks in the past and uh, got a win, kind of been riding high, similar to this feeling that we have this week. I mean, obviously fantastic win to come back from 14 points down and Mayfield really looked like every bit of the future star that they expect him to be as number one overall pick. Um, what happens if he hits some bumps along the road? We know that's probably going to come for a rookie quarterback. Is there any going back on this decision, or is a, even the temptation of going back to Taylor enough to for them to just say for enough's enough with Hugh, and we're going to move forward, you know, with this franchise? I think you have to ride uh, Baker Mayfield from here on out, uh, barring injury. He continues. Um, number one, because you think in your minds, Dorsey certainly at the top of that list among those who think, okay, he was drafted number one overall for a reason because we think he can be very good in this league. Yes, there will be hiccups. Yes, there will be bad drives, picks, fumbles, what have you, in bad decisions, but the good is going to far outweigh the bad along the journey. Therefore, you stick with him. Uh, again, because he was number one overall, that is an enormous uh, you know, aspect of it. You didn't draft this guy in the fourth round and have doubts about whether he could be a viable starting quarterback. So once you put him in there, you ride with him, and let, again, unless he gets hurt, God forbid. Um, so, yeah, there's no, there's no turning back. There's no... 
uh, benching Mayfield. Again, I can't even conceive of him being lost out there. I can see him struggling, but I can't see a guy with his football IQ and his decision-making suddenly forgetting how to play the game for four weeks. So I I don't see the Browns uh, hooking him at any point, even if he hits a bad stretch. Yeah, I agree with you. He looks so confident out there the other day and he never had any reps with the ones and he went out there looking like he'd been playing with these guys all along. Um, So just a quick follow-up to that question. Do they trade Tyrod Taylor now? We know Jimmy Garoppolo is injured out for the year in San Francisco. We've already heard Taylor's name come up. Uh, it, does Taylor get traded at some point to San Francisco or some other quarterback needy team, being that he's on basically a one-year deal right now? Yeah, that San Francisco uh, situation, you know, as, as difficult it is, as it is for the 49ers to stomach, and you know, you, you, you hope and pray that Garoppolo comes back. Uh, from the ACL to be the quarterback that everybody expected him to be that he showed flashes of. But once that happens, you think to yourself, okay, Tyrod Taylor just lost his job. As you say, he's in the last year of uh, He's in a one-year deal. It's like a show-me deal. He wants to cash in again. He wants to play. He wants to be a starter somewhere. He thought it was going to be here as the bridge to Mayfield much like Alex Smith uh, being the bridge to Mahomes for the second year. But it didn't work out that way. So now, if I were Taylor, I already would have gotten a hold of Dorsey or talked to my agent and said, hey, can you reach out to the 49ers and see if they have interest in me? Because that seems to me to be a situation that makes sense. I don't think the 49ers want to – I wouldn't think they'd want to go to Bethard. Uh, maybe they they love him uh, as a backup. I don't know. I haven't read up on it enough. But, you know, Taylor's got credentials, the same credentials that were enough to bring him here, uh, a guy who's one year removed from the playoffs, or, you know, not even one year, last year, playoffs. So uh, I, I would think that Taylor would intrigue the 49ers, and I – if I were Taylor, I'd certainly be intrigued by the, the 49ers as a landing spot. So you, you wonder if something can't be worked out um, because Taylor's got to watch out for himself. I mean, yeah, he can be put on all the great fronts and I'm a team player, which he has been nothing but a pro. Everybody acknowledges it, but it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, just be a team guy and, you know, back up Bray Baker. Well, no, I mean, Tyrod Taylor deserves the right to start somewhere else if he can, if the other team wants him. So to me, the 49ers makes sense, but I I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's interesting D man. I was, I was listening to Michael Lombardi earlier today and he was talking about Kyle Shanahan's offense and what it could do for Tyrod Taylor. And I think it does definitely make sense. Uh, The Browns do have Drew Stanton and waiting in the wings in in the event that anything would happen where he'd have to play a week. I know that'd be less than ideal, but as we've seen from having Taylor, I mean, that's not exactly ideal either. So so now that we know this, Hugh Jackson's going with Baker Mayfield moving forward, coming into the year, a lot of odds makers had the Browns at about five and a half wins. And after the first quarter and a half of the Jets game, it did not look like the Browns were going to get there. With Mayfield at quarterback and the guys that they still have on offense, the defense that's playing really well, 
How have your projections changed for expectations for this season? It is amazing what one victory can do, isn't it? I mean, you 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 uh, lose to the Jets. You, where's the next victory coming? You know what I mean? Yeah. You beat the Jets. And now all of a sudden you're going, hey, we can beat this team and this team's down. Who would have thought that John Gruden 2.0 Raiders would be 0 and 3 when the when the Browns got to them uh, for Week Four on the road? So. I guess that's a winnable game. Vegas, I believe, had them in a pick them in the, in the first line. So uh, that that should tell you something because the Browns franchise has, I think, a 22-game road losing streak, and they're a pick them against the, the Raiders and, and John Gruden So uh, on the road. Um, I guess I, my answer to you would be I, I'd have to wait and see how the Raiders game unfolds because – the Raiders game is going to present a whole different set of challenges for Mayfield that we didn't see in the Jets game. Uh, namely, the Raiders have had time to prepare. They know that Mayfield is the guy. Uh, Taylor or uh, Mayfield is not coming in as sort of a shock and awe element coming off the bench and lighting it up. He's starting from the jump, and the Raiders have seen some actual regular season game tape on him, which uh, the Jets didn't have. So that the Jets really you know, couldn't gauge, I don't think, the tempo uh, and the decision-making that Mayfield presents. So, And you're on the road, of course, uh, at a tough place to play when it's energized and when the black hole and everything and all that infamy or fame depending on how you look at it of that venue so um i want to wait and see how the game against the raiders unfolds but should the browns win this uh, sunday i i wouldn't say i would say you know certainly six seven eight wins is is realistic and we've talked a, a lot about mayfield pretty much exclusively so going into this raiders game i want to just uh, get off of Mayfield for one second and, and ask you what is what is the key in your mind besides Baker Mayfield to getting that that W on the road against Oakland? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, Mayfield is the starting point. He's going to be the focus where the Browns are concerned. But they, the Browns, have to remember this: that even though the Raiders are zero and three. They've shown flashes of good football in Gruden 2.0. Uh, opening game, Rams, they played them too, tough for a half and then faded, uh, got worn down by the Rams' talent, the, war- the Rams' experience. They, uh, well, the second game they were in as well, and they kind of, I can't remember the opponent. Yeah, it was Denver. They had uh, the yeah, Blues by one. one. That's it. Yeah. On the road, mile high, they should have won. They frittered that one away in the fourth quarter. And then Miami played them tough and and faded in the second half. Uh, Miami's, I think, a little better than people think. And obviously they're showing it at at 3-0. The point is, this is not an 0-3 team that has been trucked three times in a row, uh, that's been run over three times in a row. It's It's a team that has talent, so the Browns have to respect that. Uh, I think they're well coached uh, in terms of Gruden and his staff, Gunther as the D coordinator. Um, so they, they can't take the opponent lightly 
because number one, they're the Browns. They have no right to take any opponent lightly at this stage of their uh, rebuild or build. But they they also have to recognize that the Raiders have pieces. Um, they have a veteran quarterback in Derek Carr, who he, he's young, but he's a veteran. He's good. He knows what he's doing. Um, I think that if you're the Browns on defense, you have to recognize that Carr is going to try to dink and dunk. That's what he likes to do. He's a short game passer before he's a long, a long, a deep ball guy. And those dink and dunks can frustrate the Miles Garretts and the Ogan Jobies of the world because the ball is out of Carr's hand before the the D line can get to him or the edges. So. Maybe some zone drops can get dialed up by Williams to sort of confuse, try to confuse Carr a little bit. Um, but they can't get frustrated if they can't get home on Carr because he is going to get rid of the ball in a hurry. He loves those shallow crosses and the you know the little hitches and the screens and the maybe even a pop pass here and there. So um, it's a matter of being patient on defense and then – offensively trying to achieve that balance coaches always talk about balance 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 and then lo and behold by the second half all they're doing is throwing the ball but in the case of the browns offense i think baker mayfield needs a strong running game and he has the capability of getting it because of a guy such as carlos hyde hey just let me backtrack a few sentences ago did i hear you pretty much advocate for Miles Garrett dropping into coverage again this week? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times. I haven't looked on uh, Pro Football Focus uh, enough to see how many times he has dropped into coverage. Maybe you've got that, Mike. Uh, but I I thought I saw him do it a few times against Pittsburgh. Um, I don't recall as many against the Jets, but maybe I missed it. But I think he's a... He's a perfect candidate to do that, um, especially when it looks like he's going to get double teamed on the edge with a with a tight end or a back. Just fake, fake like you're going to rush and drop back into a zone and take away some of that intermediate, that short to intermediate stuff with his size and athleticism. I'm not saying he has to cover. Uh, I'm just because I don't think the guy that's coming over to chip him is really looking to go out for a pass. I think he's there to to handle Garrett and try to double team him. So you identify that second guy who's double teaming you and you fake like you're going to rush and you drop into a zone and you take up an area and you just I don't know, get into some passing lane of some sort to try to mess with Carr's vision if nothing else. Uh, but again, I, it's unfortunate because Here's the thing. Garrett has the great athleticism, the great skills, but even the the best pass rusher can be neutralized by a guy who gets rid of the ball in a hurry. And Carr does that. And so, uh, yeah, I think that would be kind of neat to mix that in here and there. Yeah, I I totally get it. I was just messing with you. I know there was, there was a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of comments about, about the situational use of Garrett as a, as a drop back in coverage as opposed to rushing the passer on passing downs. But uh, going against Carr, that, that definitely makes sense. That we'll, we'll, 
want to do some things to confuse him and make him hold on to the ball like we've seen him do the last Yeah, I'm not, last right. I'm not saying you make a steady diet of it by any means. I, I would say no more than a handful of uh, such situations involving Miles Garrett because I don't want – it's like bunting in baseball. I don't want my best, uh, my best hitter bunting. I don't want my best pass rusher uh, faking a pass rush too many times. Uh, but I, I think here and there isn't uh, all that bad. And I think people still have PTSD from seeing Danny Shelton drop into coverage. So, <laughs> you know, I think that's really part of the angst of it. Yeah. So, Dennis, you got a prediction for Sunday's game? Ah, uh, man. I know. Well, I, I got to because I'm doing the picks uh, for the paper and for the uh, for dot com. Um, it's okay if you change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I didn't want you to. Uh, your your worldwide audience. I don't want them to hold, hold me. But, uh, uh, it better be a worldwide audience, as good as you guys are. Um, I, I'm into Mayfield. Um, he, he impressed the heck out of me against the Jets, but for the reasons I stated earlier, on the road, Raiders a week to prepare, and I guess this is the primary reason. I know this sounds lame. I cannot see John Gruden at 0-4 in John Gruden 2.0 with the Raiders. I just can't see that. Now, I said in my picks when they went to Miami, I can't see him 0-3. Guess what? They lose. So I guess it's totally possible that they're 0-4, but I don't see it. So I see the Raiders pulling it out. And in order to get the Mayfield people off my back, I will say Mayfield plays well. But once again, the Cleveland Browns bugaboo that is the special teams comes back to haunt them with another uh, slapstick performance. Because you and I know, even though we're Cleveland-based in this analysis, you and I know the Browns could be 3-0 and if their special teams were even average in the first two games. So I'm going to, I'm going to hang another loss on the special teams uh, out in Oakland. I got the Raiders winning 27 to 24. Yeah, we, we totally get it. We, we were a little skeptical last week of picking the Browns to win against, against the Jets, even though that was a popular pick. And if not for Mayfield, we, they probably wouldn't have won that game. We all know. Um, I got one last thing for you, D-Man. We, we appreciate you spending the time with us tonight. I'm going to leave this open for you. If you've got anything you want to say, uh, just dealer's choice, let it out. <laughs> um, my thing to say to Browns Nation is be patient with, uh, with Baker Mayfield because even though he's the number one overall pick and even though he looked spectacular, as we said, in the Jets' comeback, there are going to be bumps in the road, you have to believe. It seems to me the only young quarterback who doesn't have bumps in the road is Patrick Mahomes. Um, but you know, Mayfield will struggle. It's not all going to be smooth like it was Thursday night. So when he does uh, have the hiccups, just be patient and recognize that this team should have high aspirations within the locker room, and it's okay for the fan base to expect victories uh, even from a one and one and one team that's has that's only won once in the last two plus years, but don't think the sky is falling and the world's ending if Mayfield plays poorly and, a, and the Browns lose. It, it's 
it's going to happen where Mayfield does not light the world on fire. And that does not mean that, that he's, uh, he's a bad QB. He'll, he'll be fine. He, I think he's going to be a really good one, but you're going to have to live with the growing pains that come with being a young QB. Well said, D-Man. I think that's uh, something you said a long time ago pretty much still rings true. The, the cautious optimism is, is, the, is the way to go, not to get too emotional one way or the other. We, uh, we again appreciate you joining us on Browns Beat. And everybody check out D-Man on Twitter. Check out his writing at The Plain Dealer, Cleveland.com. And thanks again for, for joining us, man. Take it easy. You guys are great. Sorry about the glitches at the top. That was all my fault. But thank you. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. All right, so we just got done talking to Dennis Maniloff, and now we're going to get into a little bit of Oakland Raiders talk. So, Justin, Dennis is picking the Raiders to beat the Browns this week. Understandably so. The Browns are still kind of an unknown with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. We, we did see some encouraging signs last week at home. This week, they traveled to the Black Hole on the West Coast, and they're going to get a team that's 0-3, Coached by John Gruden, uh, a pretty good quarterback, a good running game, maybe a little bit of a suspect defense. Uh, what are your, some of your initial thoughts? Uh, what are the, what's a key matchup you're looking at this week against the Raiders? Well, first, uh, I want to touch on something Dennis said about you know now the Raiders have tape on Mayfield. And they've had they're going to have had you know ten days or whatever to prepare to face the rookie quarterback. But on the other hand. You could say the same thing about Mayfield. Now he's going to have that stretch to get reps with the first team and prepare for his first NFL start. So in some ways, I think that's kind of a wash. But to Dennis's point, uh, Oakland has played in three close, fairly close losses so far this season. But the key matchup to me is the turnover matchup. Because what you have is Oakland, they forced one turnover, I believe, so far this season. That's last in the league. Cleveland's only turned the ball over twice so far. And then on the other hand, you have the Browns' defense has forced 11 turnovers, I think five picks, six fumbles, recovered. And then Derek Carr has five interceptions on the season. That's an NFL high going into uh, this week's Monday Night Football game. So right there, that's my matchup takeaways. And Oakland's got to do a better job protecting the ball, and Cleveland's got to continue to try and take the ball away. Um, Mayfield seems like a, a guy who's pretty safe with the ball. He, that's one of the reasons why the Browns picked him number one. And Oakland's not good at taking the ball away. So I think advantage Mayfield there and advantage Cleveland on the defensive side. So if the Browns continue to be po- uh, positive in the turnover column, they're going to win this game. Yeah, that's that's the key to their defense this season against the Steelers and against the Saints also. I mean, not not so much against the Saints. They've, they've given up a lot of yards to the Steelers. The Steelers are moving the ball pretty effectively on the ground. Roethlisberger's throwing even, even in the rain. And the turnovers that they've been causing kind of made up for some of that. Um, for me, I'm, I'm looking at, like I said in the, in the start of the show, the Raiders utilize about three or four different running backs. They all have pretty similar but a little bit different talents. Like most teams will have the a pass-catching guy, a little change of pace back. They've got some speed. Uh, they can get to the outside. they got Marshawn Lynch. He can run wherever. He can make plays. They've, they've been pretty effective at running the ball, but not great. Uh, they have an offensive line that's built for running the ball. They have some, some, really, some really big maulers up front. And the, Brown, the Browns' D is going to be 
trying to prevent Derek Carr from picking him apart in the short to intermediate range game. He's not gonna, they're not going to have a lot of time to get a lot of pressure. So maybe we will see what, what, what Maniloff was talking about earlier. D-Man said we're looking at maybe some linemen dropping into coverage. Some, but And doing so might open up some running lanes. So, I mean, it's going to be a chess battle between Greg Williams and, and Oakland. And other, other than that, though, I'd like to see a couple deep balls by Mayfield again, like I said also earlier. That's one thing that I'm looking at this week. I'd like to see his, his timing on those throws. I'd like to see their Antonio Callaway again this week get, get past some more defenders and take some chances down the field to him. But more than anything else, I don't want to see a, a soundly coached game this week. And when you, you bring your team out to the West Coast, you're on the road, and like, like we've said, in a hostile environment, just not not do anything to hurt your team, and also finally, sorry, last last thing is the kicking situation. Can't go an entire episode without at least talking about this for at least a minute. So the Browns found a kicker off the couch. We talked about our concerns with that last week. Game comes up, plays fine, and the ball went through the uprights. But did it really feel like the ball was going through the uprights? <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of knuckleballs there, and especially that first field goal. It, it started left, like it was going to go way wide. But he had he had some English on it. I was like, you know, uh, you saw Phil Dawson do that when he was in Cleveland, except he was doing it in like driving snowstorms. <laughs> so this was like much more, uh, you know, much more palatable weather conditions but it, it was it was one of those balls that had english on it but like i said it went through the uprights and uh you know so far so good but you know i share dennis's concerns he thinks this is going to be a special teams flop game and uh, you know it's hard not to be concerned about that but it's also hard to think that that could happen three times in four games so my fingers are crossed and uh, it doesn't appear like they're you know, is any sense of urgency to move on from young Greg Joseph, but you know, maybe they, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we will see. And we will have more kicker talk next week, but for now, <laughs> for now, hopefully, hopefully we will not be discussing hiring a new kicker on Monday. You, know, you make a good point too, not, uh, to, to go back to something you said, you make a good point about you want to see a well-coached game going on Sunday because you know, this coaching staff, hasn't coached after a win yet, you know, especially Hugh and, and Hugh and Greg Williams. They haven't uh, followed up after a win in Hugh's case in since 2016 and Greg Williams case, he came on last year. So this was, this is the first chance they've got to answer the bell. They can't get fat and happy after one lousy win. You know, we love it. We're excited. The beer fridges were open, but it's something they have to build off of, not get complacent about. Right. So the, the things that they found out that they did well, they need to do some really, really thorough self-scouting this week to make sure that they're not replicating tendencies because the Raiders, as we've talked about multiple times already, are going to be heavily, heavily going through every single snap of Baker Mayfield to try to figure out what the Browns are going to try to do next week. Hopefully... They have something fresh. Hopefully Mayfield is ready and well-prepared and understands what the Raiders are going to try to do. And I think we should just we should just roll into predictions now. I think that we're, yep. at, we're at that point. I think that I am worried, as you probably noticed, by the way, I've been talking about the game throughout, throughout the podcast. 
I just don't like West Coast trips. I don't know how Mayfield's going to perform on the road. I'm not. I'm not worried about him. I'm not worried. I'm just. I, I guess I'm worried about the team, the coaching staff in general, and Derek Carr and the Raiders might be 0 three, but they're coached by a very experienced guy, John Gruden, as well, well versed in the NFL and knows how to how to keep his team motivated in a, even in an 0 three situation. Um, if, if the Browns can't stop Marshawn Lynch, Richard, Doug Martin, if if they allow them to, to get to the outside to, to run the ball and control the game, Carr can make enough throws to keep the offense moving, and they can put up points. I, even as aggressive as the Browns' defense can be, I think I'm a little bit concerned about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Browns though to to win. 23-21. I just I said last week I wasn't going to pick them to win a football game until I saw them win a game. I'm encouraged by Mayfield. I'm encouraged overall by the players they have on defense. Should hopefully get at least one or two of the injured guys back this week. We'll see throughout the week. I, I think they do it. I think they become a 2-1-1 and one and one football team this weekend. I'm with you. I'm going to pick the Browns again. I, I think this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm... I've got uh, I've got the Mayfield mania, like I said earlier. You know, I, I think this guy came in, he energized the team, and I think everybody in that locker room is going to be out to prove that the second half of last week was not a fluke. You know, they, I think they're out to prove that they could have really won those first two games, and that it really did slip through their fingers. That the team that won on Thursday is the real team, and Mayfield. Uh, he seems highly competitive. I agree with what Dennis was saying that he's going to have bumps and bruises along the way that not every game is going to be perfect. There's going to be some mistakes because he's a rookie, but I really liked not just the way he played, but the way the whole team responded. So even if he, I think even if he doesn't have a complete game that he's going to be able to do enough and it's still enough confidence in the rest of the team. I think the Browns have a younger, more talented roster. They might get a couple guys back healthy. And I think they are going to win. I'm going to say uh, I'm going to go 24-17 Browns. And just to validate Dennis's prediction, I will say there will be a missed field goal or two in there. We wouldn't have anything to talk about Monday if not. We got to talk kickers on this show. That's one of the things that we will bring you on the Browns beat. That's that no other podcast will bring you. Bring it hot. <laughs> Mike, you said you had a hot take before we get out of here this week. Speaking of hot, I, I just don't know. I don't know anymore how to introduce this or how or how to or how to even talk about this person. I'm not going to even say his name. I'm going to Jason McIntyre. Uh, I believe he was the founder of the Big League. Oh my god! Yes. Okay. Popular, yes. This this was for some of our younger listeners. This was a popular blog in the early 2000s when blogging was like pretty much still a thing, where there was independent blogs everywhere were springing up. And he he parlayed that blog into a media career. So this is his take on what he did not like about Baker Mayfield on Thursday night. Just a game in 11 days. That's a lot. And they had no field position, as you alluded to earlier. I want my one takeaway from Baker, and he was electric last night. Yeah. Jets had no tape on him. They weren't ready. Did you see after the game, he runs off the field excited. Yeah. Maybe five minutes later, comes out of the locker room to go on the NFL Network set. And he had his phone in his hand. Really? That was the number one thing I looked at. I was like, What? When you look at NFL quarterbacks after the game, they don't have their phone. Baker Mayfield's first thought was, man, I, I got that win. I got to get on social media and see what people are saying about me. I'm telling you, it was his mom. Oh, st- oh stop. 
<laughs> this, oh my god! This, this man went on a on a national sports broadcast. Colin Cowherd's the herd, and even his his take was so spicy that it made Colin Cowherd back down from supporting it. I can't. I couldn't believe that this was an actual an actual take. So this is. I think. I think, I think, I think McIntyre thought he was uh, in in friendly waters because, uh, of oh. course, Colin Cowherd had had uh, criticized Mayfield for not celebrating a certain way, not celebrating with his teammates. But yeah, even Cowherd, it, although he seemed to be kind of feeding into the fire, it, it didn't seem like even Cowherd could really buy into that madness. Uh, just you know, one fun fact about this is uh, back in the old days when McIntyre started the big lead, Cow, uh, I think he had said something negative about Cowherd or something like that, and Cowherd directed his fan base to flood uh, the big lead with traffic and actually crashed McIntyre's website. So I guess those guys are cool with each other now, but, but you know, that's just a couple of hot take artists just slinging it there. And, you know, I guess you got to respect the game. I just, I, I got to imagine this, the pre-show phone call that went on before they talked, before the show went on the air, like sitting in the chairs. I, I just want to be there. I want to be a, a fly on the wall to hear that conversation on, on why this was the take they wanted to go with. I mean, I, 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 I know why. I know why. 1.65 million views from this one video. That, that, that is why. We know that's why. And no one could actually possibly believe that this is a problem. So, And McIntyre is a bitter Jets fan, too. I did not know that, but that helps. That helps make yeah. it make some kind of sense. So we have an early candidate for hot take of the of the year already, and we in episode two of the Browns beat. So it's going to be the tough. year is young. It's going to be tough, but the year is young. It is only week three. On that note, thank you all for listening to episode two of the Browns beat. We hope you join us next week. We've got a lot of great guests lined up. We're hoping to continue to ride the wave and celebrate another victory Monday. But if we don't, we'll have, we'll be able to tell you why we didn't. So thanks again for joining us for Mike Hogue. I'm Justin Higdon. Have a good night. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.